You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. Y'all grab a seat. It's good to see you on this holiday weekend. Those of you who are still in town for the holiday, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Psalm 119. Uh, this is my last sermon before I get some sabbatical time off. The next few uh, Sundays will not be preaching, which I'm very grateful for and very excited for, and got some just unbelievable uh, pastors and preachers that will be opening up God's Word in Psalms for you uh, the next few weeks. Uh, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. I thought I would end with a bang. Um, actually, I thought it'd be easier if I just read through the psalm and then said amen and let's go home and take a nap. Uh, just kidding. I'm trying to test out the waters to see what kind of holiday crowd we're dealing with this morning. Uh, it is the longest psalm in the Bible, uh, 176 verses, and uh, it is the longest psalm in God's Word, and ironically, it is about God's Word. That is the main focus, the main uh, idea of this entire psalm is, is the beauty, uh, the power uh, of God's Word. I wanted to not just read it uh, this week as I was studying and preparing, but uh, to listen to it. I don't know if you've ever heard someone else uh, read the Bible, but sometimes it's good to just close your eyes and sit still and listen. Uh, So I went to YouTube to try to find someone uh, that was reading it so I could just listen. And this is a screenshot of my phone. The first two things I found. Number one, fall asleep fast. To Psalm 119, and I didn't open, it says six hours. I, uh, I don't know what is going on there. I do know it's long. I also know the purpose of Psalm 119 is not to put you to sleep. YouTube, I don't understand. Like, you're having trouble sleeping? Open up God's Word. That'll help. Number two was Psalm 119 with words. No lie. This is what popped up. I was like, well, what is the option be like, oh, we're going to listen to Psalm 119, the one without the words. Um, just so you know, we're using the one with the words today. Uh, and I don't know what is going on over at YouTube, but we're going to open up God's Word and we're going to look through um, Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible about the Word of God. Uh, it's written probably by either King David or Ezra. Uh, not really sure which one. Both of them would have been well acquainted with uh, God's Word, loved it, had taught it, had uh, spent a lifetime embracing it and thinking about it and meditating on it. And it, it's a long book, and it could be very easily summarized in just one sentence that would be accurate. So you, they could have just said, you know what, never mind, scrap the 176 verses, and they could have just written, God's Word is true and powerful and accurate, and you should read it, right? That would have been an accurate statement, but instead, uh, it's psalms, it's, it's poetry, it's, it's something that is true, that has some flesh built around it, that expresses something very different than just an accurate theological statement. So it's an accurate theological statement that's put in poetic form to express something beautiful and something big and something robust, uh, because I think you would agree that if someone takes the time to take something that is theologically true and accurate, and ponder it long enough to create something beautiful, uh, it has a little bit of a different effect. And I am, I'm convinced, well, because I, I love God's Word and I think He gave it to us on purpose, but there's a lot of it that's just theology that's accurate and true, but then we have this other gift of Psalms and Proverbs that's just, it's poetic, it's beautiful. It, it would be much like if I woke up in the morning and told my wife, uh, Hannah... 
I love you, right? Accurate. But if I took the time to sit down and think, and I'm, I'm not a poet, right? I'm not an artistic person, but if I sat down and came up with a poem that uh, said basically the same thing, that would communicate something different to her if she woke up and I said, listen, Hannah, uh, roses are red, violets are blue, I love my two goats, but not as much as you. Some of you are like, you don't do that. <laughs> Stick with your day job. It's not always in that positive if you use some poetry. But it would, like, it would say, oh, yeah, I took something that's true, but I, I thought about it and I contemplated it. And I used my time to creatively try to express something true in a very different way. Uh, that's a lot of times what Psalms is. It takes something that's true and it puts it into a poetic and an artistic and a beautiful way that is necessary. We don't just as human beings and as followers of Jesus, we don't just need accurate doctrine doctrine, which absolutely we do, we also need sometimes just the beauty of it. I mean, one of the things that sets humanity apart from the rest of creation is that we need beauty, and and beauty affects us. Uh, If you see an animal, our dog doesn't just go sit out in the backyard and just gaze at the sunset, oblivious to it, but humans are different. We were designed by God to enjoy and to notice and to appreciate beauty. And so while you could very accurately say God's Word is powerful, it's good, it's true, it's helpful, and you should read it, what the psalmist did is he took that and he sat down and he meditated and he thought and he was responding to God's Word and built this unbelievable poem. If I were to take the the alphabet, A to Z, and just sit down and take the letter A and think about, oh, I love God's Word, and so I want to use A, and I were to write eight uh, sentences about a poem about God's, the beauty of God's Word for A, and then I were to move on and pick B, uh, that's exactly what we have uh, in this psalm. We have, there's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an acrostic. Uh, so basically, this starts uh, from beginning of end, to the end of the, the, the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. He begins begins with the first one, and for each one, there are eight verses that expound and explain God's Word, and then he'll move on to the next letter. So if you take 22 Hebrew letters, eight verses each, you multiply those together, you get 176 verses. Um, and, and it explains something that I think our souls need that is more than just accurate theology. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's weighty. Uh, one of my favorite authors is uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And uh, I love how Teddy Roosevelt was a, a man's man, you know, from if you were described like what would be just a, an outdoorsy, manly dude, that was Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, he was uh, all the time taking long, week long, weeks-long excursions and trips hunting in, into the backcountry and into Africa, and uh, he was boxing in the White House. And I think we need to take some of the things that he did and reintroduce them as the qualifications for politicians. Like, you need to be able to go stay in a tent for a few weeks. You need to have a boxing match in the White House, and then we'll kind of see how it's going. But nevertheless, he was a manly dude, always on a horse, rough riders kind of guy. But he also just wrote some of the most beautiful, poetic uh, language. And you read his stuff, and I was reading about him. He was on a hunting trip in southern uh, Montana, and he was just describing the sunset. And he could have been very precise and very accurate and just say, sunset. Uh, Yellow? Half circle, but that's accurate. 
But the way he described the, the beauty and the fire from the sun that was setting the clouds on fire, it just it, it created and it communicated this idea that this is not a man that just glanced up at the sunset. This is a man that took the time to behold the beauty of a sunset. So this is not somebody that writes Psalm 19 that has just glanced at the Bible and thinks it's a helpful book. This is someone who has spent the time to behold the beauty and the power and the weightiness of God's Word. Uh, one more example, because I think, I think this is necessary for our culture. Our culture, um, especially in Midland, there's so much to do. We're very task-oriented. There's always some place to be. Uh, it's important for us to pause and to have some time to take in beauty and to appreciate poetry, especially the men in the room. Maybe you're like, I don't know, I thought to be a manly man was I didn't do, I didn't do artsy things, I didn't do poetic things, I didn't do emotional things. Uh, and then you're kind of confronted with David who had a foot in both worlds. He was tough and he was tender. Uh, he was, you know, sleeping out with his uh, sheep and his goats, fending off bears and lions. And then with lion blood all over his hands, he would sit down and play a harp and sing some beautiful song that he wrote about the, the beauty of God. So for men and women, there's a balance. Like we need to be tough, we need to be tender, we need theological accuracy, and we also need to appreciate uh, the, the parts of the Bible that are more, more, more poetic, the wisdom literature. So for me to say the, the cross of Jesus, Jesus died on the cross for sins is theologically accurate and it's helpful, but a lot of the songs that we sing that connect our heart and our emotions to God take those things that are true and then behold them and contemplate them. So I want to read um, a little excerpt from a song that Isaac Watts wrote 300 years ago. 1707, Isaac Watts wrote this song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, because we could say that Jesus died on the cross for sinners. That's true, that's accurate, that's helpful. But what he says, I just, I've read that this week and my heart was engaged and I just appreciated the cross on a different level. So he contemplates and he writes a poem that turns into a song. He says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and I pour contempt on all my pride. He says, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love, they flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing and so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. That there's something deep in the side of a, inside of a human that, that poetry can, can access and song can access. So uh, if you have a Bible, Psalm 119, um, I want to give you a little bit of the background of just how influential this psalm especially has been for Christians um, throughout the ages. Uh, it's been a place that many Christians, pastors, uh, missionaries, all sorts of different areas, arenas of life have gone to and found a lot of, of hope in this psalm. Um, there was a Puritan named Thomas Manton uh, 
he, he was so enthralled with this psalm that he wrote uh, an, an explanation of the psalm. It's three volumes, 1,677 pages uh, explaining how deep this psalm was to him. Uh, Luther said this about it, and I quote, he says, I would not take the whole world in exchange for just one leaf of this psalm. William Wilberforce, who almost single-handedly abolished slavery in the British Empire uh, back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, he loved it so much that he memorized it. It's really long, very repetitive, but it was so meaningful to him that he committed it to memory. In the 17th century, a man named George Weishart was condemned to death by hanging And what they would do, their tradition was that if you were being executed for a crime, you could invite a pastor in and they could read one chapter of the Bible. And he was smart enough. I don't even know. I couldn't find in history what he was condemned for. But he was well acquainted enough with the Bible that he said, bring my pastor in. Tell him to read Psalm 119. No lie. Two-thirds of the way through him reading the psalm, a pardon gets from the courthouse to him. He's pardoned from his crime. They take the noose off his neck. He gets to walk free because he knew his Bible, right? If he would have asked my preacher, come in, read Psalm 117, right? Shortest chapter in the Bible, done. All that to say, learn your Bibles. might save your life. You never know. Uh, I'm not going to preach through all 176 verses. I want to look at the first stanzas that correspond to the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet and then just hit a few high points as we walk through Psalm 119. So I've got seven points, seven things that I want to look at by way of this chapter. Number one, God's Word is a pathway to blessing. How many of you want to be blessed? Some of you, you're reformed enough to know that, oh, is that a trick question? It's not. We, we want blessing. We want God to bless our lives. We want God to bless our health, to bless our families, to bless our finances, to bless us. And the, the pathway to blessing, this is the idea of the first stanza. And if, uh, if you open up to your Bible, uh, probably a lot of your Bibles, before verse 1, it says Aleph. Uh, maybe you didn't know, but that is the first Hebrew letter. And so Aleph, Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. If you are there, give me a hearty, low-crowd holiday weekend ready. Okay. Blessed. That's the first word. Blessed or blessed. Blessed are those. Who? Who's blessed? Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. There are eight different words throughout this entire chapter that, that the psalmist uses that are synonyms. They all mean the exact same. They're different phrases or different words to express God's word. Uh, he is going to say law. He is going to say testimonies. He is going to use the word ways, precepts, statutes, commandments, rules, word. Those eight words are going to show up over and over and over and over, all talking about God's word. And uh, out of 176 verses, there are only four verses that do not contain one of those eight words, but there's five verses that contain it twice. So, I think basically we could agree what the psalmist is trying to say is from A to Z, God's word is good, God's word is necessary. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but they walk in His ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently, 
And oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. And then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes and do not utterly forsake me. Those first two verses right out of the gate, he connects being acquainted with and obeying God's word to a life of blessing. And you can just watch the life of believers as they are more acquainted with God's word. It's like this, this, this floodgate of blessing is just opened up into every different portion of their life. And he connects, if you want to be blessed, blessed are those whose ways blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So if you want to be blessed, and I, I hope you do, I think you do, I would encourage you very simply to devote your life to reading God's Word every day, to, to open it up, to read it, to, to, to meditate on it, to think about it, because there's a promise from someone that had beheld the, the true weightiness of God's Word. They, that what they saw is that that was a pathway to blessing. It's in verse 1, it's in verse 2. God's Word is a pathway to blessing, so devote your life to God's Word. Number two, this is the second stanza that correlates with the second letter. Bet is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's talking about God's Word serves as guardrails for your life. How many of you have been to the mountains and you've driven on one of those mountain roads that if you get too close, your wife and kids scream uh, because they can look down and it's a long way down? And uh, oftentimes, if it's dangerous enough, if you can get off of the path and go crashing down to the bottom, they will put up what? They'll put up guardrails. They'll put up something on the edge of the highway so that you can't fly off and drop down to your demise. Uh, Stanza 2 has to do with God's Word when we decide, you know what, I'm going to give my life to, to reading, to memorizing, to knowing, to understanding God's Word. It says that it serves as a guardrail for your life. Here, here it is, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 18. How can a young man keep his way pure? You think, man, if you're a young man in Midland, there are a lot of ways for you to destroy your life. There are a lot of foolish opportunities for you to spend on your, your life on, your money on, a lot of ways financially you can get in ruin, a lot of ways sexually you can get in ruin. And so how in the world are you supposed to navigate all these landmines um, that are seemingly set out for your destruction? I think this applies to everyone. If you want to, 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 to be on this course of life and not fall off the mountain and destroy things in your life, then what do you do? How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it. That's this, the idea of a guardrail. By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you, so let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart, which means he had memorized large portions of it, no doubt. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, so teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. The big idea of the second stanza is if you give your life to God's Word, inevitably it will act as guardrails to keep you from going off the track. The, the old adage is so true. I wish I had come up with this phrase, but I didn't. I stole it from someone over the years. They said, if your Bible is falling apart, what? Your life normally isn't. Because the more acquainted you are with your Bible, with God's Word, there's just guardrails that are 
set up that keep you from destruction. And, and I've watched over the years, and oftentimes people that lives go off the rails towards destruction, whether it's relationally or maritally or financially or sexually or whatever it might be, it's because they did not know God's Word enough to recognize there were some really clear guardrails that God had put before us the entire time. So my encouragement to you is to devote your life to God's Word because it's a pathway to blessing and it sets up guardrails because, listen, nobody wants, to, nobody wants your life to be more blessed than God. I truly believe that. I believe God wants your life to be better than even you want it to be. And so you've got to submit yourself to God's word if you're going to follow the path, the path of blessing, and avoid uh, some pitfalls. Uh, Mark Twain, the great theologian, right? I don't know if he was a Christian, actually. I've read quite a bit, and I think that he was not. But he was a smart guy, and he said this. He said, if you don't read, then you're no better off than someone who can't read. And I'll translate that into what we're talking about. If you don't read the Bible then you're no better off than someone who can't read, who has, doesn't even have the Bible in their language. And I was looking at some stats this week. The average American household has four physical copies of the Bible in their house and don't read it at all. So it's just not, like guardrails only help if they're put up, right? The guardrail of, of the Word of God, it only helps if we read it and we, and, we, and we meditate on it and we believe it. So this is my encouragement. I'm just going to tell you, not a whole lot of action to, points to take away from today other than read your Bible, okay? Number three, God's Word provides good counsel, good counsel that gives us wise counsel to know how to make decisions. When you come to a fork in the road, what in the world do you do? Uh, Psalm 119 verse 24 says this, your testimonies are my delight and they are my counselors. He, he knew the Word of God so much, it's like he had this round table of wisdom and counsel from God himself that he had access to wise counsel in his life because he was well acquainted with this book. This book will provide wise counsel for you in areas that it doesn't necessarily say what exactly what to do or who to marry or what job to take. If you're well acquainted with this book, it will be a counsel that will give you wise counsel and decisions that you need to make. Number four. God's Word is to be meditated on. Meditated on. Verse, this is, I only chose two. This shows up quite a few different times in chapter 119. But verse 23 says this, Even though princes, they sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Verse 97 says this, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all day. It's like all day I sit down and sometimes I just meditate. Now, I want to I encourage you very, very precisely in this because I believe meditation is one of the most important key elements for a, a thriving spiritual life. And it's one of the most forgotten and difficult things to do in our culture. Because rushing is the enemy of meditation. If you've got too much to do, it's so hard to set some time where you don't just read the Bible, you meditate on it. Uh, your phone is an enemy of meditation. 
why a lot of us have trouble meditating because we sit down and we haven't developed the discipline to truly get everything out of our way, all the, all the distractions off of our plate, maybe even change locations physically to get somewhere we can meditate because we're three seconds in and we're like, oh my gosh, my phone went off and I remember now I've got to do this. And So I, I want to encourage you to weave meditation into your daily life. This is not the idea of a monk sitting you know, up in a, in a, in a castle somewhere in the mountains, you know, with his, his legs crossed and the feet, and I'm like, med- meditation is like taking something from God's Word and, and devoting a lot of time to just think about it and to ponder it and to think about all these different angles. And I know in my life, uh, some, some, th- some ways that God has spoken to me, answered some, some questions that I had, and just felt His presence was when I was meditating not just reading, but taking a verse and say, that's, that's a verse. I want to meditate on that this week. I want to devote, devote some time today because if you meditate, it's like it opens up an entire treasure box of things that are deeper in your soul than just reading and, and understanding the information. You know, with me, there's a lot in the Bible about meditation. And he says here, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. So God's Word is not just something to be studied and read, but something to meditate on. In fact, I'll read a little bit from Psalm 1. This is not on the screen, but many of you are well familiar with it. This is how the psalmist opens up. This, this comes chronologically first in the entire book of Psalms. And he's talking about blessing, like what connects a human being with the blessing of God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But, it's like, so that's, we, we don't do this, but we do do this. But on his law, he meditates day and night. Something about getting God's word in your mind, in your soul, and meditating on it uh, is one of the reasons that God has given it to us. Number five, God's word provides direction for life. This is verse 105 that many of you probably have heard it, probably committed it to memory. Maybe even many of us committed it to memory accidentally because we've heard it so much. So Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And whether it's David or Ezra that wrote this, they would have been well acquainted probably with being out in the wilderness at night uh, and only having a lamp that would have been fed by some type of oil. And I don't know if you've ever ever held one of those, but uh, you can't see very far. If you just have a lamp, it's not like we have, you know, a three million candle power spotlight that we can see Odessa with. You know, walk out of your house and you're looking over into Odessa at night, which I don't recommend because nothing good happens in Odessa at night. But he has a lamp, and all he can see is what's right before him, and that's the illustration he uses for the Word of God. And I've been stuck in the mountains a few times where I'm trying to make my way out in the dark, and you need two things. You need some kind of GPS where you know you're in point A, and you know where you're going. You know where the tent is. You know where the truck is. You know where the cabin is. Uh, But if you know where you are and you know where you're going, that's not enough if it's dark. If it's dark you also need a headlamp or a flashlight so you can see where you're placing your foot. Uh, In the Word of God, we have both. We have like the GPS coordinates of where the world is going. Like we know how how it's going to end for the world. We know how it's going to end for us. But we also need to know, well, what do I do with my life today? How do I deal with my, my friends today? What do I do with this uh, situation that I'm in today or my finances today? And so he says, your word is a lamp unto my feet 
and a light to my path, which means it's not talking just about heaven. The Bible is very practical, and it tells me what to do with my foot today. What do I do with my life today? I get this question fairly often. Honestly, I have this question fairly often. People ask, well, how do I know that I'm going to be in God's will down the road? I want to be in the middle of God's will for all the different areas of my life. 20, 30 years from now, how, what, what do I do today to make sure I'm in God's will 30 years from now? And this is the very simple answer. Put your foot today where the Bible tells, like obey with the information that you have today as a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path. Do it today, and I guarantee you if you are praying and you're reading your Bible and you're making decisions based on God's Word today, if you do that every day, then you're going to take enough steps that you'll be right in the middle of God's will down the road. How are you in the middle of God's will 50 years from now? Read your Bible and use it as a lamp to your feet and a light to your path today. Number six, God's Word is to be kept God's word is to be kept. Verse 129 says this, your testimonies, they're wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. My soul keeps them, and that word, it doesn't mean understand, it means obey, uh, that uh, there's some kind of link between blessing and obedience. And so God's word when you open it up and when you read it, and if you have some time in the morning that you're reading God's Word, I just want to encourage you that your goal is not to know it, but to what? Keep it, to obey it, to do it. And those two things are very different, okay? For us in the Bible Belt, that maybe we have this, uh, this, this, this habit of reading the Bible, we need to know there is a mild gap between knowing the Bible and doing the Bible, Right? Between understanding and keeping, there's a lot of difference. The Pharisees knew the Bible better than you and I, right? They could quote the first five books of the Bible. You're like, oh, I got that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now I'm like, the contents. Like, they could quote the first five books, and they murdered God, right? So it's like, well, I don't think they really got an A+. They, they knew a lot, but they didn't, they, it didn't enter their soul, and they obeyed it. <coughs> Excuse me. This is what... How Jesus talks about being a disciple, and this is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, he's about to ascend, and he says, go and make disciples. So help people follow Jesus. Make disciples of all nations by what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And I'm just telling you, it's so much easier to know stuff than it is to do stuff. Like, it's a lot easier to know what we read in this. It's much more challenging, and it's a deeper blessing if we do it. And so he says, your testimonies, they're wonderful, and therefore my soul keeps them. Jesus in John 13 says this, he had just taught them a lot of things. They had information. And he says, if you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So in the Bible Belt, where there's a lot of Bible my encouragement for you is as you read it, seek to obey it, not just understand it. When it talks about repentance, we don't want to just understand what repentance is. We want to learn to repent. When it talks about forgiving our enemies, that's not something that we want to learn about. That's something that we inevitably will be forced to do. When it talks about 
having a soft heart and a giving hand towards the poor. That's not something that we're supposed to just understand. That's something that we're supposed to do. When James 1.27 says, pure and undefiled religion is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep ourselves unspotted by the world. That's not a verse we're supposed to memorize. We're supposed to care about widows and to care about orphans. So there's a big difference. And the blessing comes when we obey. So God's Word is meant to be kept, not just read or understood. And I love, if, if you just look at that verse in 129, he talks about his love for God's Word before he talks about his obedience to God's Word. Okay? Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. If you struggle to believe that God's Word is wonderful, you're going to struggle to obey it. But if you get a kid that trusts their, their parents, their mom or their dad, they love them, and they know that the parent wants their good, that child is going to be much more likely to obey because they trust the heart of their parents. And so if a parent gives down a rule that they don't like or they don't understand, their love and trust for their parents will override that question where they will obey. This is what you see in this verse. He keeps God's Word, God's word because he loves God's Word because he trusts God's heart. The Bible is going to tell you to do something at some point in your life that you are going to either not understand or dislike. And what do we do in that moment? We've learned that his testimonies are wonderful, therefore our soul keeps them. Number seven, God's word gives you peace. God's word gives you peace. Verse 165, great peace. Not just peace, great peace. Great peace have those who love your law, nothing can make them stumble. If it's anything that I've witnessed in the last 18 months, it's that a lot of people don't have peace. They're, 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 they're venting and they're struggling because the, everything feels out of control, whether that's economic or that's uh, family or that's health. There's just a lot of the absence of peace in our culture and people that are looking in all sorts of different places to feel this deep sense of peace. And there's been over the years, I mean, Jesus talked about it so much. He, sa he said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you, but I give you a different kind of peace that it's going to provide internal peace no matter what the external circumstances are. And the psalmist had experienced this. I mean, he had enemies all around him, and a lot of things were going horribly wrong for him. And he had this temptation, I'm sure, to just live his life. He was scared of everything, just full of anxiety. And yet he says this, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. The more you devote your life to God's Word, the more peace that you have. I think it's a supernatural thing that the Holy Spirit does. I think it's an informational thing that you know that things, that God's not out of control, that He hasn't abdicated His throne, that we know how this ends, and we know that He'll keep us. There's a lot of reasons it's true, but I know it's true. If you're a student of this Word, this book, God's Word, has a way in which it pushes out the anxiety and it helps you walk in peace. I want to wrap this up in, in kind of what I think is the purpose of all of the Psalms and even the purpose of Psalm 119. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting that the psalmist loved God's Word. And it's a unique thing that when they wrote this and just all, you read through Psalm 119, it's like, wow, they were enamored with the Word of God. Do you know what they had? Like Genesis... Exodus, Leviticus, 
Numbers, Deuteronomy. He didn't have all the stuff we have, and he's writing this stuff. He's like, I love the law. How many of you have read through Numbers, and you're just like, I just love this thing. It is so awesome. It gives life to my soul. Like the things that you normally skip, we skip in our, our annual reading plan. That's what he had. That's all he had, and he was still like, oh my gosh, I love God's Word. It is life. It's joy. It's blessing. Imagine, okay, use, use some creativity. We'll put on our, our, our Christian thinking caps. Imagine what this psalm would look like if he had access to what we have. Like if he could read psalms, if, if they had access to Proverbs, if they could read the Gospels, if he could read the book of Acts or the epistles or, or Romans or whatever it might be, even Revelation, like if, if the psalmist had what we have, it would be unbelievable, off the charts, hard to describe the relationship between us and the Word of God. And he was yet still so enamored with what he had been given. So if you take all of the things that the psalmist loved and was enamored with, the beauty, if you read through Psalm 119, you're going to see that he, he, he feels some beauty in God's Word, definitely sees that there's wisdom in God's Word, feels that there's power in God's Word, feels there's grace, feels like there's a key to life in God's Word. If you take all of the things that the psalmist loved about God's Word, and then you filter those through what the Apostle John said about the Word, I think it, it shows us the point of the Psalms. What are the Psalms ultimately supposed to do? Because John was one of the inner three of the 12 disciples. He was Jesus' best friend probably on the planet, had an, a, a deep friendship, and had spent more time with Jesus probably in the flesh than anyone else. And when he is opening up his, his, his declaration of Jesus' life, this is called the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, John chapter 1, verse 14, he says the Word. And I think you could stick in any of those eight words that are, that are synonyms of the Word, all of the beautiful things that the psalmist loved about the Word. John says, and the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. What he's saying is all the beautiful things, the power and the wisdom and everything that he loved and was enamored with from the Word of God have been compacted into a tight little package and put into the person of Jesus Christ. So what is the point of the Psalms? not to love the Psalms. You can love the Psalms and miss the point of the Psalms. The point of the Psalms is to love the Word of God so much so that you love the Son of God, the Word of God made flesh. That's what I want to encourage you, uh, not just today, but our entire journey through the book of Psalms this fall, is to use the Psalms to get to know Jesus, to use the Psalms so that you appreciate the Psalms, but you love Jesus Christ more. I want to encourage you. I wish that we had the time this morning to preach through this entire, entire chapter, but I'll encourage you to take some time this week uh, to turn your phone off, to shut your computer off, to get in a, a recliner, grab a cup of coffee or tea, uh, sit down and read through the Psalms and just see what the Lord does in your spirit to help you love His Word. Let's pray. God, we do. God, we do. We love Your Word. God, it has... Uh, deeply marked my life. God, obviously it has opened to us the revelation of your son Jesus. It has provided uh, such a, a depth of wisdom for us. God, it's so theological in understanding who you are and it's so practical in giving us the place to put our foot today. Father, I pray that your spirit 
would stir up in each one of us, God, to really develop a deeper love for your word. Again, that we would obey your word just out of, uh, really, not out of duty or obligation, but out of love for you and trust for your heart. God, for someone in this room that has never made it a habit to, to read the Bible, God, I pray that this week would change that for them. God, I pray that they would open it up and just leave it open on a table or on a counter somewhere, and when they pass by, they would sit down and read a few verses and spend some time each day meditating on your words to us. We thank you that you saw fit to deliver your word to us and that we have a copy. So, Father, help us as a church to be people of your word. And I pray for my friends this morning that your spirit would speak to them, that you would encourage them, that you would give them the direction they need to live their lives today for the glory of Christ and for our good. We love you. And we praise you, Jesus. We thank you for what you have done for us and in us and through us and to us. God, we want you to be honored and glorified in the way that we sing in these next few moments. We pray all these things by your spirit and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.